Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world, welcome to a special remote edition of FNO InsureTech. This is Rob Beller coming to you today from Columbus, Ohio. Yes, we've taken the show on the road, literally. We took our show on the road. We're here in Columbus, Ohio, visiting customers and are taking advantage of the opportunity to interview a young man that we've wanted to have on the podcast for a long time. And that is Josh Thompson, Vice President of Claims for both auto and property at State Auto. We're particularly interested in having Josh on because Josh is a dynamic, incredible leader in the claims area and also very involved in State Auto Labs and innovation, both process and the creation of innovation at State Auto. And we love to have on innovators, whether they are with an insure tech or whether they're with a carrier or whether they're with a venture capital company, it does not matter. We're interested in innovative people and innovative thought. Lee Boyd will not be with us today. He did not travel with us to Columbus. So it's just me and Josh coming to you from a conference room inside the beautiful offices of State Auto here in Columbus, Ohio. So listen up, and we'll go right to our interview again with Josh Thompson, Vice President of Claims at State Auto. Hey, everybody. We are here today on a remote episode. That's right. We are out of town. We're on the road. It's FNO InsureTech on the road. We're here today in Columbus, Ohio, an InsureTech hub. Wouldn't you agree with that? I would. An InsureTech hub in our country. And my travels have brought me here and I have the privilege and the honor of doing one of our podcasts today by myself. So all you Lee lovers will uh, just have to suffer through it. We're here at State Auto, State Auto Insurance with the Vice President of Claims, Josh Thompson, an old friend who has volunteered for uh, something that he doesn't quite know what he's getting himself into. A listener, somebody who we work for at Alacrity for a long time. We're thrilled to have you with us. Welcome to our podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for coming all the way from California to visit with us here in rainy Columbus today. I came all the way. In fact, it was raining so hard you could hardly see like 30 feet in front of you. Thanks. It was bad. So let's start by talking a little bit about State Auto and a little bit about you so people can begin to understand why it is that you're our guest today. Sure. Let's start. What is State Auto? Property and casualty insurance carrier. Ironically, it's our 100th birthday this year. We just celebrated like two weeks ago. It was uh, actually pretty fun. Lots of folks in person and uh, celebrating uh, that. So a writer of auto and home and commercial lines coverages. So like I said, been around 100 years. Obviously, recently in the news, we've been acquired by Liberty Mutual, which is some big news. I'm sure we'll probably jump into that later. But Mm -hmm. uh, that's a little summary of who we are. Okay. And your job here, what's vice president of claims mean? 
Yeah. So essentially all auto and property claims report up through me. Pleasure of uh, working with all those claim handlers. So anyone who has a damaged auto, a damaged home, even some of the injury stuff on the first party side of medical payments and PIP, all of that kind of stuff rolls up through my uh, team and, uh, you know, creates a challenge each day that we tackle. Cool. Now, State Auto is a public company, correct? We are for now. Yep. Uh-huh. We're yeah. publicly traded as STFC on the uh, ticker uh-huh. uh, before the acquisition. Yes. Uh-huh. So... As vice president of claims, does that mean that you run all of claims? We do have a chief claims officer, uh-huh. uh, Paul Stachura. Uh-huh. Uh, so Paul is responsible for all of claims and risk engineering. So we call ourselves CARE, actually. Uh, so Paul is responsible for all of claims. So I have some colleagues that are responsible for casualty and work comp and risk engineering and some other items. So mm-hmm. it's mainly the auto and property stuff that reports up through me. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk a little bit about you. So you, for those of you who can't see this, Josh looks like a very young man. <laughs> and so, I mean, vice president of claims, you're like number two in the claims department. How, how do you get to do that at, at such a young age? Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, I'm glad you say I look young and I'm glad this is a podcast because I'm often told I have the face for radio. You have so. a face for radio. Yes. Uh, but after I listen to this, I'm not sure I'll agree that my voice is, is ready for radio. I've actually been doing this about 21 years. So uh, I graduated from Ohio State here locally, like most folks do from Columbus. Honestly, had no intention of getting into insurance and knew nothing about it. Posted a resume on Monster, a headhunter from Allstate called and offered me like $26,000 a year to handle claims. And I thought I was rich. Uh-huh. And uh, here I am 21 years later, obviously uh, benefiting greatly from the wonderful career path that claims provides. But Along the different way, I, I honestly handled just about every type of claim there was to handle except for work comp. About 15 years ago, I got an opportunity to lead a small claims team. And from there, I've just been in the right place at the right time. And there's been other opportunities and had an opportunity to work my way up the chain, so to speak. And mm-hmm. the last, I guess, three plus years, been leading the auto and property team here for Paul. So in the, in the world of InsureTech, there tends to be a lot of people that are new to insurance. Even people that are running the companies that are making the InsurTech products yep. have almost no insurance background. So they're learning as they go. Now you have what we would call, you're a classically trained claims guy, right? You, I'll take that. You got a job <laughs> yep. and you went to claims school. Sure did, yeah. Your, your employers put you through training, right? Now that you're an executive, how important was that? Is it important that you're classically trained? Is it important that you had all that training? Like you said a minute ago, that you've worked on it, all kinds of claims. Yeah. Excellent question. And the, and the reason I say that, um, it probably depends on the day you ask me. So, <laughs> uh, and what I mean by that is I've benefited greatly from handling claims, having that firsthand experience, and then working my way into leadership. So I think there's something to be said for the, the credibility of having done the job or a version of the job and understanding what that is, especially in today's age of innovation. Um, You're kind of understanding, you know, what may work, what may not work, those sort of things. I also think you can make an argument that somebody coming in with a completely fresh perspective without that claims, you know, history or background or blinders on uh, could be a benefit too. Mm -hmm. So I think if you look like across my leadership team, I actually have uh, what I would consider to be a nice mix of both. Mm -hmm. I have folks that truly just came up through claims I have other folks that have come up through data ranks or technology specific ranks and those sort of things. So I think it's probably a good thing to have a little bit of both, but I definitely come up that classically conditioned uh, claim side, I would say. I used to think when we started doing the podcast, 
I was a believer that one was better than the other, or one was right and one was not right. I don't want to use the W word, yeah. but but it was right to have had claims experience and it was wrong to have not. But I agree with you. I think that sometimes the experience that we have is kind of baggage can be that yeah. can get in our way where you say, no, that's not possible. Whereas the person with none of that baggage doesn't know what is or is not possible. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You come into it without limitation of your thinking uh-huh. and, You know, I still think there's complexity in the insurance world, and we'll get into that as time allows, I'm sure. But not bringing that baggage and not looking, I always tell my team, let's not look at why something won't work. Let's try to find a way to see how it will work. Uh And that's a different mindset to bring, especially when you're in claims of the natural, like, investigative bone that you have as a claims handler. Uh You almost have to set that aside a little bit and not look at, like, well, what may go wrong in this situation, but rather what may go right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, And for those people in the audience who don't work in claims, it's kind of easy to become jaded <laughs> as a claims handler. Is yeah. that fair to say? Yeah. Because you run into, you're working with people often in very difficult circumstances. And sometimes you're even working with people who are trying to take advantage of the circumstances. Yep. And so you can get kind of dark as a claims handler, <laughs> I'd say. It's, it's spot on. You know, uh-huh. anyone who's done this for any number of time, you, you know the overwhelming majority of people we work with are absolutely great people. And the beauty of this career field is I call it top two or three career fields. You can choose where you're truly helping someone in a significant time Mm -hmm. of need. Um, But there is a small sliver or a small percentage of uh, bad actors that you Mm -hmm. have to deal with. And um, you know, as time allows, we can get into that too. But I think that's why the claims process is not really uh, well received outside the industry. When people think about, insurance claims, they often don't glow and get all excited. Mm -hmm. They they view it as a burden. And I think part of that is the process has historically been set up to catch that small percentage of bad actors. Mm -hmm. So you jam every claim through kind of a monotonous process to find that. So my team and I, we've been on this journey of like, how do we figure out a way to call out that small percentage and handle that claim slightly differently, but let everything else flow through as frictionless as possible. That's a good lead in for Let's talk about State Auto and and the current state of what you guys are and have become. I've known State Auto, about State Auto and of State Auto for a long time. And like you said, it's a hundred year old company. So there's lots of tradition and ingrained process in a company that's that old. And so here we are in 2021 and a lot of things that worked in 2009 don't work anymore today. Sure. Change has happened in the world around us. Change has happened to technology so quickly that I don't think there's any time where you where you could have said things don't work in 1960 the way they worked in 1948. Sure. The change was not that dynamic as opposed to as opposed to what you're experiencing now. So so I want to talk about innovation in state auto. Talk about the journey of going from this very traditional, old school company to today. How did that happen? Share some of that insight with us. I think it's a fascinating story. Hopefully the listeners will as well. Um, 2015, we had our previous CEO retire and a new CEO joined our organization. We passed him in the hallway a few minutes ago, uh, Mike LaRocco. And I've been here 10 years. So I always tell people, you know, it was almost like I worked at another company for four or five years and then a completely different company the last, you know, five or so years. 
And that doesn't mean the company was a bad company the first five years I worked from here. It was significantly different. So I would categorize my first five years here as a, this was a standard, traditional, you know, PNC insurance carrier. Not a bad place, like I said. Mike came in and essentially overnight said, hey, we're going to change the culture and the vision of this company and we're going to become an innovative, you know, company that drives change. You know, I think on day one, people are like, oh, okay, what's that mean? And, and I can't really express enough how fast it really did evolve and change. So when you start at the beginning of the insurance transaction, we set out years ago, six years ago, whatever it was, to go completely digital with selling and distributing insurance products. Now, when I say that, some people are like, yeah, a lot of people are doing that. No, I mean completely digital. So like when we sell a policy, the only option is a digital option, paperless, electronic funds transfer, all of that sort of stuff. And it was pretty aggressive for that time six years ago. And I can tell you now we reinvented and redid every single product line that we have, whether it's personal lines, commercial lines, farm and ranch. They're all on what we call our connect platform being sold digitally. So literally reinvented or essentially started a brand new digital insurance company in the last six years. On the claim side, what's interesting is very early on in that journey, it became clear to us this is going to be a problem if we're distributing insurance completely digitally, but we're handling claims in the old school, you know, way analog. from that. Right. Analog claims handling. That's a great way to say it. And, you know, this is something simple, like we require you to pay your premiums digitally. So that way we can handle, you know, your policies more efficiently and that sort of stuff. If we mail you a paper check and it takes five to seven days, I don't know about you, but I would be like, hey, you make me pay you with a credit card and then right. you make me wait seven right. days to get a check. So right. you have my money in 15 minutes. Right. But it takes you two weeks to get me my money back. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, we, we started paying claims electronically five or six years ago to get out in front of that. I've really been on a journey in the claim space to digitize the claims process to really match the entire insurance transaction from beginning to end of a quote to binding a policy to if you have a claim and closing that claim, making it as digital as possible um, when customers want that, but also using like digital capabilities to sort of innovate and change the results of the company and those sort of things. So that's a little bit about the history and the story. So hopefully that so, answers the question. So a lot of it I'm picking up at least and the, the initial impetus was about leadership, right? Was about some people who had a vision or, or Mikey had a, he had a vision. He came in, but he, he, he built a team around him. I'm, I'm uh, imagining that, that, that supported that. Yeah. The majority of our senior leaders, you know, turned over and a lot of ranks uh, turned over around that time. And, you know, I think buying into the journey was an important part of what we've been doing the last six years. Cause uh -huh. you know, if we, didn't buy in or didn't believe in that vision, it's a lot harder to execute. And I think what you'd find is the majority of the 2,000 or so state auto associates really got on board quickly. And that's why we were able to accomplish a lot of things that we did. So what were you thinking when you started hearing all this stuff? <laughs> uh, that's a great question too. It's uh, I'm trying to go back in time six years, which seems like an eternity these days. Uh, in the beginning, I think, you know, it was kind of like, whoa, what's happening, if I'm being honest with you? Because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm telling sure. you overnight, it was like, I always tell people, it's like I got a different job at a different company, even though I stayed at the same company. Uh, then it became exciting. I mean, it honestly was an amazing uh, beginning and it still is today. And there's so many things about our culture and the way we've operated that it's just an amazing environment to work in. So no fear, you know, let's try something that'd be reasonable, of course. Yeah. Um, but you know, no fear. Let's try some, let's be quick. You know, we, we roll stuff out so fast that, um, that creates challenges for us in some regards, sure. some of the people that we work with actually. So sure. And, and that's something that is a knock on almost all the carriers that we work with. Yep. 
uh, in, at our company is that they're not very fast. Yeah. <laughs> which, which has always been, and it's okay. Yes. I mean, they might not, and they might even complain about it offline. Right. Right. The people that work there say, you know, it takes us forever to do this, but that's just kind of the way it is in insurance. But you guys were, you guys have gotten past that or, or have worked to get past that? What did you do? Yeah, I think you have to be, and we were okay with, let's go to market with an iteration, knowing that we're probably going to have to make some changes, but we'll make those changes quickly. And, you know, if we go to market quick, make iteration one, two, three quickly, where we end after iteration three is probably better and faster than if we waited for something to be perfect and took two or three times as long to deliver mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I say that it's general in nature, but, um, you know, obviously there's probably some things we take a little more time on than others, mm -hmm. but we, you know, we pride ourselves in let's not take forever. Let's mm -hmm. be the carrier at our size. That's nimble. Mm -hmm. So when we work with a technology partner or a startup or anybody, a vendor partner, mm -hmm. um, that's one of the things I think we bring to the table is, you know, let's go to market as quickly as possible. And oftentimes, you know, what happens is even the partners that we work with sometimes are like, yeah, maybe it's a little <laughs> too fast. Right. So the proof is in the pudding. Tell me about some of the, how this is proving itself out. What, what kind of metrics or feedback are you getting that this is going well? How's it being received? Yeah. So on the claim side, uh, I would say, uh, well, we've made a lot of progress. So, you know, it starts foundationally, you know, so certain things like digital reporting of a claim at first notice of loss. It sounds simple, but when we got into a project like that, there are so many tentacles mm. and things that are just uh, complicated. Mm -hmm. The insurance transaction is more complicated than I think folks outside the industry oftentimes give it credit for. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll give you a specific you know, example Please. for auto and property. Please. So in the auto world today, you know, we'll have a customer report a claim online. Uh, we'll push a, a quick hyperlink to their phone via text where they can take photographs. Those photographs directly go into our auto estimating system. Actually, this quarter... We expect to have some estimates that we allow through business rules to go through with no human intervention. And we've already automated the payment. So if it passes any fraud rules that we have in place, payment goes automatically to the customer. So we will have this quarter auto claims that go through report to payment of estimate with no human intervention in a matter of minutes. Now, that's not going to be 80% of our claims or anything like that. We're well, start even if it's 10%. Right. I mean, you talk about like a cycle time of a day. Yeah, we'd like to measure it in hours instead of days or weeks. Absolutely. That's stunning. Do you call that straight through processing? You know, that's one of the most interesting questions I think you could ask is everybody STP or straight through processing means different things to different people. So, you know, we do call it straight through processing. So to me, if I'm a customer and I report a claim, I literally don't have to tell somebody something I already typed into the system and a payment is showing up in my bank account in a matter of minutes or hours. That's straight through for me. Now, there's still a whole back end of that auto process of like a rental and repair management part of it. So that'll come later. Uh, but to me, that's straight through processing in a, in a high degree in terms of I can report a claim and I get a payment. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not what the customer is expecting. I think what happens today is they get a claim. They talk to their neighbor. They're like, oh, that claim's going to be a nightmare. It's going to take you a month. They're going to mm -hmm. be terrible to work with. Mm -hmm. and we hear oftentimes from customers, whoa, that was crazy. Like I had no idea that you were going to be able to pay me same day or whatever it is. Um, we have another auto thing I'll share, Rob, if it's okay, on, on telematics, Please. which yeah. is really yeah. cool. So we started this several years ago as well through our, we call it our Safety 360 program, which is our telematics program. And of course, it has a UBI component, uh, use, use of base insurance and, and discounts and all of those mm -hmm. sort of things that come with that. Mm -hmm. But uh, we actually get crash notifications directly from an automobile. So if the telematics device detects a crash, 
that pushes us a note in our claim system, and we proactively reach out to the customer to say, hey, are you okay? And we started this- Like, a, like, a, like within minutes? Minutes, yeah. Uh-huh. Minutes. And we started this several years ago, so it's something that we've learned a lot on. And I'll tell you, the night before we went live, I remember thinking, our customer is gonna be mad. Are they gonna yell at us and be like, how did you get this information? This is Big Brother, I don't like this. Uh-huh. But you know, over the years, it's 99.9% with a bar over it. Amazing how, how responsive people have been uh, and thankful. And we hear all the time, like, that's crazy. I would have never expected an insurance company to reach out and check on me to see if I need to file a claim. Mm-hmm. So that's what really what we're going for is how do you turn the claims process or the insurance transaction on its head to add value and make it something that a customer doesn't dread to go through? And those are just a couple of the examples. Well, or like what you're saying, that they're surprised by it yeah. in a positive way. Absolutely. Is that showing up in your MPS scores? We don't specifically do an MPS per se, but when we uh, survey folks, we get super high marks on um, the proactive reach out on that, but really just the digital claims options that we have in general. So I think what you find is like anything with the population, there's a segment that just doesn't want to talk to somebody and they have that option now. Mm -hmm. There's probably a segment that obviously wants to talk to somebody. So we certainly have that option too. Sure. So I don't know that much about the auto side. Yeah. I'm 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 more of a property guy. So you're working with a number of different vendors, software companies, et cetera, sure. to develop these kind of tools? Is, is, or is this stuff that you're do, doing internally? I mean, how do you piece these pieces and parts together? Yeah. Like one of the problems on the property side, and we'll talk about that in a minute, is that there isn't one single solution that spans all the issues that come between when a loss happens and yep. when it gets paid. Right. What about on the auto side? It's a similar challenge on the auto side, I would say. You know, you have the giant estimating systems that that dominate and control a lot of what happens mm-hmm. in, in CCC or Xactimate and those sort of things. But there's other pieces to the pie that you're trying to solve for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, inside our four walls, we decide, like, is it something we want to build or buy? So we've built some stuff, like mm-hmm. our digital FNOL tool. You know, we built that in-house. Um, there's other stuff that we see is probably better coming in from a vendor partner, whether it's an auto or property. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're, you're spot on with the challenge of a lot of these solutions solve for a specific use case. But oftentimes there's like five or ten of those things that need to get to put a piece together in the claims workflow and they don't always flow completely seamlessly. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the fun of the challenge of like putting this puzzle together, I would say, to create the best experience. So before we touch on property, yeah. tell us about innovation. I mean, obviously we're talking about innovation at State Auto, but tell us about it formally. Talk to us about how it works here. What is it? What's it look like? What's it called? Yeah, so we have some innovation teams or product teams that focus directly on on building and delivering these things. And what's kind of cool about a carrier our size, so our claims department is somewhere in the neighborhood of eight or nine hundred associates, um, so relatively small. And and you know you can get a lot of stuff done and have communication at um, really really lightning quick speeds in that situation because. Uh, we just don't have a lot of the red tape and other stuff maybe that larger carriers have to go through. So here, you know, we have these product teams. They host, uh, you know, what we call sprint reviews where frontline adjusters give their feedback on what they're thinking and what they're doing. And then very quickly we iterate and essentially every other week we produce a release that has new functionality in it that the adjusters and my team have worked directly with these product teams that work also closely with our IT teams have worked together to deliver. So, I mean, the iterations are super quick and the sprints are fast and real-time feedback. So we've had adjusters say, 
you know, that looks strange to me. I don't necessarily think that's the best way we should do this. The product team goes back and says, hey, we found a different way to do this. What do you think? And within a week, that's changed in our claim system. Now, it all sounds rosy. There's challenges too with change management and making sure the adjusters are keeping up because they do have a full-time day job, of course, right. actually handling claims. But, you know, I think the innovation process here is actually pretty cool because um, it happens super organically. Everybody has a voice and it happens pretty quickly. Uh-huh. And it sounds like it works. I think so. Like it produces a product that's helpful. That's the goal. Yep. And uh-huh. far more often than not, that's what happens. And then the beauty is if something comes out and there's a glitch or a bug or it's not functioning the way that we, mm-hmm. we want it to, you know, we've done emergency releases the very next day or later that day even that, that fixed the problem. So it really is, it's iterating super fast. And it took a long time in the beginning for folks to get used to that. Cause if, again, you back up to the history story that we told earlier, yeah. we weren't traditionally We've used always to done it this way. Right. We, we, you know, we would have a release, I don't even know, once every other month or every quarter, and there would only be like one thing in it. Now we've got five or six new capabilities being released on a biweekly basis. So it took a long time for folks to get used to that, which is completely fair. Um, you know, we're talking auto and property differences. You know, I think the auto world is a little ahead of the property world, but I think property is starting to catch up faster uh, right now, which is awesome. And that's part of the exciting part. I think there's some complexities in the, like, in the property. Why world. do you think that? What, do, what are you seeing that, that lets you say that? Yeah, I, I think there's been more startup activity and solutions in the auto space because it's a bit more commoditized than property. Now, I think we're starting to see a lot more of that come up in property. So. Uh-huh. So let's talk about property for a minute. Yeah. Tell us about the, some of the tools that you've used and what, what your thoughts are on them and what, what you've found about bringing in these tools that have specific um, applications into a process that's bigger than just that one specific application. Talk, talk about using the insure tech in property. Yeah, there's so many things, you know, we could talk for hours on this, which is uh, good and bad, I guess. So first and foremost, I'll hit on like just a virtual inspection. So I think claims experience through Xactimate is uh, a tool that, you know, we weren't using heavily until last year. Uh, We had started to use it, which was good. COVID hit and it's like, whoa, this is going to be weird. We may not be able to send humans out to interact with humans in person. So we really ramped up the usage in 20 of even just the claims experience tool, building some specific forms that ask specific questions for loss types. So partly because it was on the drawing board yep. and partly because of COVID. We got lucky because we were using it a little before, so uh-huh. we weren't completely green so to it. So it was but it kind of in the toolbox. It was in the toolbox. Maybe it had a little dust on it. Uh-huh. It was getting pulled out from time to time. Uh-huh. So yes, uh, but really ramped that up. And then, you know, when Texas froze in February, you know, we did more claims experience assignments on that one event than we did in all of 2020. And then that momentum's carried forward. I think we've inspected virtually on claims experience well over four or 5,000 claims this year. So for those people who don't know, just tell us real quickly what a claim experience is. Yeah, it's a tool that gets pushed to the customer on their mobile phone, essentially to take photos or video uh, where it documents what the customer showing us on the loss and it comes right back into our claim system. So it's a you know essentially a desk adjusting tool that puts us in the customer's home or in their business if we want to use it in that situation. Is it a tool that lets you settle a claim? What does that functionality enable you guys to do? I mean, is it bigger impact than you expected? Obviously. Yeah, I think so. And it depends on how you want to use it. So we certainly use it to settle some claims. Uh-huh. Um, and I say some, it can actually be a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Sometimes we'll use it and actually we'll gather really helpful information to let us know 
this is maybe something bigger than what we thought it was going to be. And we actually do need to get some expertise on the scene. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I'd rather learn that right away through video sure. or photo than right. a couple of weeks down the road or whatever that is. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking at it. I think there was a claim I saw the other day come through um, where a carport was blown over by some wind. We got photographs, had an estimate written and, and payment issued within an hour. So, you know, much like that auto use case we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, the same thing's starting to happen in property more and more, which is awesome. So is water still the big problem in property? Water can be a challenge. Certainly your fire losses are a challenge. And then the largest, you know, loss bucket that we have is always going to be wind and hail. So wind. you guys do a lot of work for us on that. So Wind and hail. Yep. So let's talk about, um, have you used Hover? We've used Hover, yep. We do use Hover. Can you talk about that real quickly? Yeah, I think it's an awesome tool. Uh, you know, you obviously can, uh, same thing, it gets pushed to the customer. They're walking around their home with a mobile phone, capturing uh, photographs and video, which really producing accurate measurements for us to use, either to write estimates off of or to handle a claim off of. So just another virtual tool we can push directly to a customer that used to be every time a human going on scene and I've been around long enough, even though you said I look young, which I appreciate that, you know, to see people with like the old school roller, you know, tapes yeah. and those sort of things. And I haven't seen one of those in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. They're still out there. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not as much as they used to be. So what kind of tools are you seeing as the newer, more effective tools or increasingly effective tools in property? So I'll start mind dumping here. Feel free to stop me uh, when necessary. And the reason this is a little hard to answer, our philosophy is that we want to basically investigate and look at almost everything that's out there. And it doesn't mean we're going to use everything, but there's lots of things that we'll test and take a look at that maybe doesn't work for us or a lot of things that we test and pilot that may work for us. So there's, the answer to the question is a lot, but I'll dive into some of the ones that I think you know just come to mind and that are most exciting. But Next Gear. Next Gear is a, a company that has some interesting tools and Next Gear Settle Assist is a really interesting one for us. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you know we see as a win is we can send somebody out potentially uh, to capture you know photographs or measurements for us using Eagle View. That comes back to us uh, in estimate form because Next Gear is using an algorithm and a, and a model to take those photographs and measurements and create an estimate and exactimate for us. So before where maybe I had to send a human to go out and do all that work for us, whether it's ours or a vendor partner or something like that. Now I can have a centralized person sitting at a desk having an estimate showing up within, let's say the inspection happens in a day or two. The old model of sending field staff or a vendor partner sometimes took multiple days or weeks in some cases, depending on volume. So that's a tool that I think has huge possibility. We're kind of getting it off the ground right now and excited to see where that one goes. Uh, so that's a tool that, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks out there are looking at and keeping an eye on. Are your people at the desk, your desk adjusters who are receiving this data yep. back to them or estimates back there, or maybe they're writing estimates as well. Yep. How are they receiving all this? Do like, like working with claims experience. I mean, that's a new, that's a new experience for these, for these people. I mean, traditionally a desk adjuster would receive a packet of, of data information pictures and then kind of piece and put put it put a put a settlement together from that yeah now they're getting all kinds of different stuff how what what kind of reception are you getting from your adjusters mostly good and i say mostly good because it's been part of our culture for so long that now Mm -hmm. folks um it's just our normal thing Uh Uh, but when you throw that much change and things at people it can be hard you know we work hard at the change management and the communication aspect and really you know rob for us involving the adjuster in the process. So 
for years, I've always said there's kind of three buckets. It's can you deliver an elite customer experience, paying what you owe as efficiently as possible. If you're doing those three things, you're going to run an effective claims organization. More recently, I've started to add a fourth bucket, which is the adjusters experience. So oftentimes that gets lost in like, how do your adjusters feel? Because you can develop the most incredible technology in the world. But if your staff doesn't want to use it, that's a mm-hmm. huge challenge. So, you know, it hasn't been perfect. There's no doubt about that. And there's been challenges. But I think our folks embrace it and they're starting to see, you know, the benefits of it. But for me, it's how do you utilize your uh, staff to their fullest extent? You know, I, I it always drove me crazy when we're sending field staff at a higher cost and wasting their time on like maybe a small loss where their expertise isn't fully used. So mm-hmm. how do we get the right claims, the centralized desk? How do we get the right claims for your field staff? How do you automate as much of those tasks that really don't add value? So that way the claims professional is really spending their time doing what they should do, adding value by talking to the customer, analyzing the more complex situations that come up. Mm-hmm. And that's the fun part of the job for the folks that enjoy the claims field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we had one carrier talk to us a year or two ago and tell us that what they've decided to do is to outsource all the claim handling and commodity claim work, estimate writing, whatnot, because it's not customer facing. Sure. And to use their adjuster, their staff who work for them full time to just be customer facing. Yeah. To just handle the customer. Yep. I thought that that was progressive. Interesting. Yeah, I can uh-huh. see that for sure. Uh-huh. Um, so let's talk for a few minutes about the big news. Yeah. And, and uh, well, there's one question I want to ask you before that. So as a, as a leader in all of this, there must have been, there must be some pleasant surprises that you've had, like as you started working for this new company, as you called it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and all this is, there must be people around the organization who you like are all involved with and that you lean on that you didn't necessarily weren't involved with six years ago yeah. that you're probably very involved with now. Is that the case? Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's interesting to see folks who started to shine, who maybe not that they didn't shine before, but just their, maybe their talents weren't fully utilized, but it takes a special person to embrace a true innovation culture. You know, you, you have to be willing to take a risk. You have to be willing to speak up. You know, that's part of our culture here, too, is everybody has a voice and transparency. So we have really, you know, challenging meetings is what I would say, where we have healthy debates among each other. They're always professional, but it's not uncommon for me and Paul, who I mentioned earlier, and some of the folks on our IT team. We were just in a meeting yesterday, for example. I'll give you a specific example where we were debating how do we drive even more usage of our digital claim reporting tools And there's wide opinions across the organization, but that's okay. That's awesome. And at the end of the meeting, actually, everyone thanks each other for sharing their opinions and that sort of stuff. So your answer is absolutely yes. There's been folks that I've worked with over the last couple of years that probably didn't work with in the same capacity the first five years I was here. Uh, But that's been awesome to see them kind of work their way up the ranks as well. So let's talk about being acquired. Yeah. Okay. Not that you know anything about it yet. Not Because it's brand new, right? What's the timeline? Yeah, so I think the next step is like the formal financial deal needs to be closed and approved by the governmental authorities and those mm-hmm. sort of things. You can tell I'm very official on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that'll happen in the first quarter of next year. So we're still going to close out this year, uh, kicking butt and taking names as much we can as as the state auto name. And then I assume you know a lot of things will start to hit the ground running uh, early next year once the, the formal deal closes. 
we are starting conversations with our, our friends at Liberty. Uh, mm-hmm. So that that's going to start more, I think, in the next month and through the rest of this year to just plan for hitting the ground running. But it is early. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're asking sort of, you know, what it was like uh, being acquired, um, you know, I'm always honest and transparent. So all the range of emotions, I would say. So um, everything from, you know, the initial shock uh, to, uh, you know, some sadness, because I told you we all bought into this journey uh, on State Auto and the journeys, I always tell people, it's not over. It's just different now. The journey looks different than what it did before. Um, but truly, I've honestly settled into the excitement phase now because mm-hmm. I think the the family partnership between us and Liberty, from what I hear and the folks that I've had a chance to meet with at Liberty so far, it seems like they really share an innovation culture like we have. Mm-hmm. And they're going to bring things to the table with their scale and expertise that you know we just didn't have before. Hopefully, we can bring some things to the table for them. So I'm solely in that excitement phase at this point after going through that whole kind of range of emotions. We work with Liberty. That, that's not a secret. And yeah. so I think that that it is a fairly good match. That there's cultural alignment. We don't. We're not all over all over the company, but in the sure. in the areas of claims that where we do work, you know, they have a lot of work that they have to get done, and they t- attempt to be very progressive about it. Yeah. So, will you be part of Safeco or part of Liberty Mutual, or do you know how that part of it's going to roll out? Yeah, we really don't know yet. So, you know, we obviously have personal lines and commercial lines products here. Yeah. My team handles both. So I think one of the interesting things will be is how do we merge these families together in the most efficient way and those sort of things. So okay. just don't know if it'll be under one or the other brands or what that's even going to look like yet. But uh-huh. uh, yeah, that'll be one of the interesting questions that gets answered. Well, as somebody who's gone through an acquisition. Yes, just recently, year, right? right? Just in February. <laughs> yep. It's a lot of things that you expect and a lot of things that you don't expect. It's an interesting journey, but mostly a good journey. Yeah. Um, And let's not forget, by just staying where we are frequently, there's problems there, too. And, you know, people kind of tend to lose sight of that. But I think that uh, somebody like you will do great in this combined world. And like you said, the resources, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Like we, we have that with alacrity. I mean, it's such so much bigger of a sandbox. Sure. With way cool toys. <laughs> I like toys. That we didn't have in our old sandbox. Right. We just had some old shovels that were kind of worn out. Yeah. And now we have buckets and shovels and little building tools that are all fun. Let's talk for a minute about Columbus. I'm visiting Columbus. Columbus is a pretty cool town. I mean, I, I'm like really impressed. It's like an insurance capital of the world. Yeah, you know, I think uh, what Bloomington, Illinois is pretty big, if I understand correctly. And there's some other insurance hubs. But Columbus has to be up there when you look at us and Nationwide and Grange and Root and, you know, Westfield's not too far up the street. That's right. You have Root here. Yes. It's right around the corner, actually. That's a major insure tech uh, play. Yeah. Getting lots of publicity, Uh right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Branch Insurance is here. I'm familiar with them, but that's an interesting one I'm watching. Branch is very interesting. We had them on the podcast. Yeah. What an interesting company. I think so, too. In fact, Steve, the co-founder, yep. um, I said to him when we interviewed him, I said, why aren't you in California? <laughs> I would absolutely have their insurance. It's a terrific product. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a bundled product. Yeah, I think they're the, the truly the only real bundle that's out there. So that's why it's a very interesting company to me as well. Very interesting. Yeah. And um, listen, I have loved talking with you. And we'd go on, but I think we've bumped up against time. Uh, I hope that you guys have enjoyed listening to this as much as we have enjoyed doing it. Like I said, we don't get out very often. We don't, they don't let us. I'm usually 
I'm usually in my pajamas with my hair all over the place. And Lee is, Lee is usually yelling at me about something offline. But, uh, well, I will so say I, I did miss Lee. So Lee, if you're listening out there uh, next time, hope to catch up with you. you need, I'm glad you, I'm glad you did that because we, we really need to talk about Lee for a minute, but but we won't. Yeah, he gets Just, enough publicity. He's, he could have been here, right? Yeah, he could have been here. He didn't come. So forget you. Lee. I guess now I'm upset. Yeah, never mind, Lee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen, you know what we'd like to do? We'd like to come back in like maybe a year. Yeah. After you guys are part of different company, be fascinating, and um, and talk about change. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. I'm Absolutely, sure. it's a okay. great topic. Okay, well, count on that. And so, uh, thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time. Much appreciated. Thank you. So there you have it, folks. A on-site remote broadcast of the FNO Intratech podcast. Apologies to Lee Boyd for leaving him out for not dragging him along to Columbus, Ohio. We missed you, Lee, and look forward to having you next time. Big thanks to Josh Thompson for joining us. What an amazing, great, terrific leader he is. And we thank State Auto and Josh for welcoming us and making us feel at home and uh, and giving us a great interview. And we thank you all for being with us, and we will see you on the next episode of FNO Tech. And bye now. <laughs>